I was always very engaged in these unique experiences, but I always wanted to make sure other people were there with me. You know, if I was going out spearfishing in the water, I wanted somebody else to come with me. Working in sports, you get to see that full hand come to fruition when you see a, a customer's face when they're at that game and they score a touchdown and they're cheering and, you know, their kids right below them having their day at the park. So it, it's really kind of seeing other people enjoy an experience. Welcome to Hot Coffee Cold Beer. I'm your host, Brock Hendricks, with the LA Lakers, Clippers, and Kings. On this podcast, we'll sit down and share a hot coffee or a cold beer with those who have made a name for themselves working inside the highly competitive sports industry. All of the content heard today is solely reflective of the independent reporting by Hot Coffee Cold Beer and our team and does not reflect the opinion or feelings of AEG, Staples Center, the LA Lakers, Clippers, Kings, or Sparks. Today, we sit down for a Charger-themed beer with one of the top sellers for the LA Chargers, William Wall. Will gives us an in-depth preview of SoFi Stadium where the LA Rams and Will's LA Chargers will open up for football in 2020. You'll hear about what being a waiter can teach you about working in sports and how going to NFL football in Los Angeles will feel like going to the beach. Will relives an intense process that was the Rams and Chargers interview weekend used to hire for the NFL's new stadium, and he gives us the secrets to how to stand out in large crowds. Hey, Will, thanks for coming on. Uh, you're actually our second UC Santa Cruz alumni to ever come on the show, so I'm loving this banana slug pride we've got here. UC Santa Cruz is getting so many free plugs from the show. It's insane. Yeah, you know, it's the uh, it's the slug life is what we call it, and, and going up to UC Santa Cruz, being a part of the you know California education system, just incredible. I actually also got to do a UC to UC program where you get to do a quarter or semester somewhere else and, and took some time up at UC Berkeley. So really got to immerse myself in the Bay Area. And that slug life is a good life, I guess. Uh, do you have a hot coffee or cold beer ready to go? Yeah, you know, I'm actually cracking open a uh, ice cold beer here. We have the uh, the LA Chargers uh, lager that they actually have uh, down at the stadium. And, and so I'm having one of those right now and sitting back and, and enjoying a cold one with you here. It's funny. The Chargers are actually the first team that we've talked to thus far, to, to my knowledge, that has their own beer. So this is just perfect to bring on a, a show called Hot Coffee Cold Beer, a team with their own, you know? Yeah, I'm glad to glad to be able to have one here. And, and you know, they brought it out at the games last year and everybody really liked it. Pretty big hit. And Golden Road Brewing Company is the, uh, the you know, company that we kind of partnered with on it. And they knocked it out of the park. You got to support your local brewery. Will, we wanted to talk to you because in episode one of this podcast, our, our guest Danny Petrofesso was telling us about what it was like to open Atlanta's Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And his story was amazing, like reflecting backwards about three to four years after the project was done to tell it in detail. And now our listeners get to hear a pretty unique side of it. They get to hear what it's like to open a new stadium before it's ever even started. So it's a fresh perspective, and I think you're the very perfect person to tell us about it. So thanks for coming on and excited to share your story with the listeners. You know, Brock, it's it's great that you mentioned that. And I know you and Danny were kind of talking about the Atlanta Stadium, but being a part of SoFi Stadium and actually seeing this thing come together has been, you know, one of a kind experience. We started off day one on the project as a pile of dirt and, you know, flash forward three years later and here we are over 90% complete. I actually, you know, was down at the stadium and walked around the stadium as one of about 50 people in the building total. That included the construction workers and the five people on my tour. And so, you know, you walk into a building that'll host a hundred thousand people for Super Bowls and Olympics and, you know, massive world events. And you're one of 50 people in there seeing it come together. It's, it's impressive. And the video board, the Oculus was actually lifted up into place about a week after I went down to visit, 
you know, this stadium is, is coming closer and closer to opening day. So let's start there. Tell us about SoFi Stadium, because by the time this episode airs, we'll probably still be a few months away from the stadium actually opening on day one. But paint us a picture of what this a magnificent, beautiful stadium is really going to look and feel like. Well, when I was in there a couple weeks ago, the biggest thing I took from it was the outdoor indoor feel like it's the world's largest covered open air stadium in the world. And and that in and of itself is just an interesting thing to say. It's it's like going to the beach. You know, you bring out your tent and you put a canopy down and you put your four poles down into the sand to give you that protection, you know, from the sun above but you still have that natural beach breeze coming through. And, you know, when I looked up into the roof, I saw the sun, I saw the clouds, I saw the light. I just didn't necessarily feel the burn from it. You know, just walking in and, and kind of seeing something that we've been talking about for the last two or three years and actually seeing it in place, that ETFE roofing is, is truly something that's spectacular. Is it odd at all being a part of a stadium that's opening for two teams? Like, not that I'm one, one to talk, but I guess the difference is, you know, in my job, I'm negotiating and selling for the Lakers, the Clippers, the Kings, the Sparks, all the concerts and events, but and, and doing it equally in each entity. With you, you know, the Chargers and Rams are both going to play in the same stadium, but you're only on one side of it. So how's the dynamic only handling the Chargers side of the business? Yeah, leave it to Brock, the guy who sells for four teams, to ask me about selling two, right? <laughs> but, uh, of course, you know, selling a stadium that has two two teams in it, two tenants, uh, really is is unique. And, and Legends, the company I work for, actually, you know, manages the, the kind of deal for both of those two teams. And really, when I think of it, we're all stadium experts. I just have the ability to sell for one team, and the guys on the Rams have the ability to sell for that team. And, you know, realistically, we, we both are very well immersed in the stadium and it's a click of a button that'll shift it from a Ram Sunday to Chargers Sunday the following week. Legends is a really incredible group when you think about it. The things that they're able to accomplish and the things that they're able to do. Legends is the company, uh, a parent company that's involved in a lot of these NFL stadium openings. What can you tell us about your role specifically of like the dynamic between Legends and the Chargers and the stadium? Just for the people that maybe are on the outside of the sports industry that don't quite understand. Because someone could look at your background and go, do you work for the Chargers? Do you work for Legends? How does this work? Yeah, that's actually a great question. And it's something that was, you know, pretty confusing for me when I started in sports. I had, you know, initially gone to www.chargers.com and scrolled down to careers. And, you know, I, I ended up getting connected in with a, you know, teamwork online webpage that then took me to this legends company. And uh, I had never heard of legends at the time. You know, really what I came to find out is that legends is a company that, as you mentioned, is pretty well ingrained in most of these new stadium openings and premium inventory spaces across, you know, whether it's colleges or even a Event space. So they actually, you know, touched into a couple of those different categories and, you know, event management and working for them in this project has been pretty enlightening. I, I would call it a, a white label third party relationship because again, I'm Will Wall with the SoFi Stadium, with the LA Chargers, with Legends. You know, I can, I can say all of those things comfortably and, and they all make sense. Um, and, and so that is a, a pretty interesting dynamic there. So you're full steam ahead hustling, trying to sell this stadium out before time is up. And I think while every sports employee is used to working on tight deadlines because like their league isn't going to change a timeline of a season for you, like it's your responsibility to meet them at their pace. So how stressful is it with this project knowing that you have an exact date where hundreds of thousands of people will be in the stadium? Like you have an exact date to get the job done. Yeah, I mean, opening date is, has definitely been something that's been on our target for quite some time. 
you know, when we moved into the office after hiring, they actually had a countdown clock with the opening date on it. And, and you know, you come in and you start and it's, you know, well over 950 days on, on the clock. For us, knowing the stadium was actually supposed to be opening up here next month for the Taylor Swift concert that, you know, her entire series was canceled uh, due to the pandemic, not just our opening day concert, but her entire concert schedule. When you kind of look at it, it sets us up in the NFL for a great opening here in the fall. You know, we're going to be able to really take our time as, as salespeople and, um, you know, finish off the job and make sure that when the NFL is in there in the fall, we're, we're ready to kick it off with a blast. Isn't there a lot of pressure that comes with this job in particular? Because it's, well, one, it's the most expensive stadium ever built. And from the way that you painted the picture for us earlier, it just seems like an absolute masterpiece of art, let alone a, a stadium. And you have to fill that masterpiece up. You have to go from zero to 70,000 people in a short amount of time. Do you think about those things while you're in the thick of it? Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned pressure and, and yeah, there's pressure, there's outside pressure, there's, you know, league pressure, there's, you know, hey, make sure that we get this stadium ready to go on time. But the big thing that I always fall back to is the experience that's gonna happen here at this stadium is really unlike anybody in LA specifically has ever experienced. It's really gonna bring LA sports culture up to the, you know, the level of technology that other places you'll see. Danny in Atlanta, I, I've had the privilege of getting out there you hear about the dallases and, and these other you know mega stadiums five billion dollars when you talk about it is is really no expenses spared it was everything you could have in a stadium we have and so create that picture and tell people hey this is what it's going to look like when you walk in on opening day that's the idea that you're trying to get them and, and the more and more that we get down there and and see these videos and see the you know, progress that's coming along with the stadium the more and more we can kind of explain that to our customers is there any relation to the the rapper Paul Wall? You know, I actually, uh, it's funny that you asked, when I used to work in Las Vegas, I was walking through a convention center and uh, I'm sitting there and you have your name badge on and, and a guy walks up to me and says, hey, that's my son's name. And I go, oh, that's awesome. What's your name? And he goes, Paul. And I, uh, you know, kind of look up from my phone and, and smile at him and he smiles at me and he has these grills, silver smiling back at me. And I look at him and I go, Paul Wall. And he goes, yeah, man. And I was like, good to meet you. And, and he had actually, you know, lost about 200 pounds since I had known him growing up in, in his rapping days. And uh, now he does kind of clothing. And that's what I was there for was for a uh, clothing sales uh, convention. So for someone who has never worked a day in their life in the sports industry and then comes up to you and says, what's it like? What do you usually say? Like, what's your go-to answer? Incredible. It's truly incredible to, to work for an NFL organization, much less any sports organization I would imagine would probably feel pretty similar. But, you know, working in the NFL, it's it's kind of the pinnacle sport on on the list there and, and working for your hometown team uh, or what used to be my hometown team and the, the Chargers is, is obviously a dream come true. So ab absolutely incredible. The team you work for is kind of a badge of honor to a lot of us in the industry to say things like, I made the Lakers and Clippers and Kings millions of dollars last year. That's such a huge honor. And for you, it's a little bit further. Like While I love the three teams that I negotiate for, and I have a special bond with them, you have a, in particular a special bond with the Chargers because you grew up in San Diego when they were the San Diego Chargers, and you had to deal with the loss and the heartbreak of them leaving San Diego to L.A. Then you move to L.A. and flash forward, here you are on board this back and forth emotional journey with the Chargers. So is your relationship with your favorite team soured a little bit from, from having gone through what feels like an abusive relationship? Or where are you at with the specialness of like being a Charger? 
you know, I mean, basically I grew up down in San Diego and, and so I bleed blue and gold and, and, you know, you nailed it right on the head there. There was a a period of time and and even still is in my family where, you know, certain family members are still feeling uh, ill will towards the chargers and and others in my family are, are, you know, back on board. And what it really came down for me was, is, you know, I grew up a San Diego charger fan and I was a fan of Junior Seau and I was a fan of Rodney Harris, LaDainian Tomlinson. and, And even when Rodney left to the Patriots, you're still a fan of that guy. You know, and even when these guys move on to a different team, I still am going to root for Phillip Rivers next year. San Diego Charger fan. I'm a Los Angeles Chargers fan. I bleed blue and gold and I love the players. I love the coaches and I love everything about the team. So where they're located doesn't really uh, make too much of a difference for me. Was it always that way or what happens on the day where the Chargers up and leave? Like your team literally abandons you. But the days that it happens, what emotions do you go through? Yeah, you know, it's it's a lot of phone calls with my twin brother. You know, we went back and forth about it, man. It was, uh, hey, man, are you still going to be a fan? What are you doing with your jerseys? You know, what are what are we doing? And then it was, you know, hey, man, they're, they're moving to L.A. They're going to need somebody who can sell their new stadium. And, you know, really, it was my, my brother, Jim, that was, you know, instrumental in saying, like, dude, you've got to go online. And here's the website. It's chargers.com. Like, scroll down to the bottom. I looked on there. There's a sales job available. You could do it. And, you know, if it wasn't for that, I, I wouldn't have been here today. What a blessing in disguise. If the Chargers don't move, it doesn't spark this particular conversation, and then you never apply, and then you're never a Charger. It almost and had never to working in sports. Way. It's a pretty common dream for people that want to work in sports, in, in the sports industry to start their careers, right? Like they want to go right out of school. I want to get a job with this team and then just start climbing the ladder, so to speak. But sometimes if you haven't worked a day outside of the industry, you miss out on some, quote, real world experience. And you never gain it if you don't know what it's like. A day, having a day outside these doors. So some of the best people in our industry came from other backgrounds and happened into this world of sports. Like Dan Kaufman, who's one of the top producers for the New York Jets corporate partnerships team, he came from the legal world. I came from selling legal services and legal staffing. Our first two guests on the show, Danny Petrofesso with the Broncos and Daniela with the Dodgers, they both had accomplished careers long before they worked a day in the industry. You have a very similar experience where you moved to LA to become an actor you find yourself working nightclubs and learning how to sell on the fly to now being a leader on the Charger staff. What do you think you learned from the world outside of sports that you could then take skills in and use them for this industry? Yeah, you know, I, I think you nailed it on the on the head there. I, I was actually pretty surprised to hear that Danny was the uh, the first member on your show here that had worked at the Bellagio. And, and that was really kind of my first gig right out of college was a a job in sales at the Bellagio. And the same as you mentioned, like it was pretty awe-inspiring for me to walk home at the end of the day and say, man, I just made the Bellagio thousands or millions of dollars this month or this weekend or this year. And that's that's pretty exciting to say when you think about the the level of branding that the Bellagio has come to acquire over the years of service that they've provided there in in Las Vegas. Spending a a lot of my time in the service industry to be a bartender and a server. And I I think everybody should spend a year in their life in, in service so that they can understand, you know, how to A, treat people, but B, how to upsell, you know, and and that's something that I learned really well during that serving time is, you know, not just selling the hamburger, but adding bacon and adding avocado and, you know, upselling the vodka and making sure that your sales at the end of the day were that much higher because you had put in that much extra work. I really think that that is attributed to where I've gotten to now today is is having that background in other walks of life as as opposed to just kind of entering sports right off the bat. So you're our second banana slug to appear. Ep- episode four with Kelsey Kraskin of Adidas was a banana slug. And then our second Bellagio employee. 
yeah, I'm running out of first here. I, I don't know what else I can take the cake on. This sort of VIP experience is nothing new for you. Again, much like not to keep comparing you to Danny of the Broncos, but you are both working in Vegas. You're both doing high-end hospitality. How do you make the leap from VIP Vegas to VIP experiences in the NFL? Yeah, great question. And, and you know, Brock, really what it kind of hinges on is what I used to sell in nightlife experiences and hotel experiences, disposable income. And really what we do here in sports is disposable income. And so if you and your four buddies are coming out to the nightclub in, at the Bellagio in Las Vegas and you want to buy a bottle, you're going to spend, you know, a hundred bucks each. Same thing if you come out to a Lakers game, if you come out to a game at the new stadium, if you go out for a sporting experience or a concert, you know, you can expect to spend about a hundred bucks, you know, per person on a ticket if, if you're going to a big event and a good show. And, you know, that's what you're going to end up spending is that disposable income. And so transitioning into sports sales, it's the same concept. It's, you know, hey, what kind of experience do you want? You know, more than likely in sports, you're going to be able to cater to it with the different, you know, wealth of ticketing options that you do have available. You touched a little bit on upselling and some of the things that you learned from, which was brilliant, taking skills as a waiter and server and how you can translate that to skills in real world experience. But other than that, what do you think you learned and picked up from working VIP experiences in Vegas that you can then turn around and still use to this day? Prospecting and CRM. So those are two things that are provided to you in sports and they're two things that weren't provided to you in the nightlife industries. You know, you didn't get a CRM system to track your contacts. You had what was called an iPhone and your notes section. You know, and, and you had to become very diligent in keeping notes of your clients, your records, when they came out, why they came out, when their birthday was, you know, who their wife was and when their anniversary was, and so that you can use all those dates to get them to come back out and visit you. Same thing with the, you know, the side of prospecting is, is you know, the, the Bellagio isn't just going to provide you with a list of people staying at the hotel that day. You know, you have to go out and, and find those people and figure out who can you get to the nightclub that evening? How can you connect and, and create a way for them to get out there? And, you know, those are two of the biggest things I, I took is, you know, when I moved out here to Los Angeles, I did the same prospecting I did in Vegas. I would walk up and down the strip in Hollywood and I would go to every hotel and every business there and introduce myself, leave business cards, see if they would put their business cards in, you know, the bags of their products that they were selling and say, hey, if you want to go out and, and wear this new outfit that you just bought here in Beverly Hills or the club tonight, this guy will, will take care of you. And, uh, you know, that that same kind of mindset is, is really what I would say transitioned well into sports. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening and hope you're enjoying your own version of a hot coffee or a cold beer wherever you're tuning in from. The show you heard today is not possible without the help of our sponsor, Attorney Marketing Network. If you're a legal professional anywhere around the world, Attorney Marketing Network can help you grow your search rankings. And did you know that 38% of Americans use a search engine in hope of finding their lifelong lawyer? So if your SEO is holding you back from these lasting relationships, just go to attorneymarketingnetwork.com to schedule a free consultation. That's attorneymarketingnetwork.com. Now back to the show. Let's revisit this, if, if you will. It, there's a joint process that, that happens when you're interviewing on this new stadium with SoFi in particular, where there's this group of, let's call it 400, 500 people that all show up to a Marriott location near where the stadium will eventually be. And there's a weekend full of group interviews, personal interviews, one-on-ones. It's this intense process that was, that was the Chargers and Rams interview day. Can you walk us through your experience with that, some of the feelings you're having as this is happening, and then ultimately what it's like to, to receive some kind of notification that, hey, we want you as part of this world-class project? 
Yeah, you know, I, I, when you walk into the Marriott on on that uh, that Friday afternoon or well Friday morning actually, it's it's you know about three hundred plus people there in that room, and you later come to find out that you know easily yeah another hundred or so you know candidates probably had you know back way in into the company where they you know didn't necessarily have to show up but had secured a, a virtual interview or a connection with the manager already. Uh, but I, I get there at eight a.m. and and you know again you're walking in and as a charger fan you walk into this room and see a chargers mannequin and a rams mannequin and and this is your first opportunity at a job in sports and it really hits you like this is real you know and, and they introduced Jeannie bonk uh one of the highest ranking female executives in sports uh and and working for the chargers and and she gives you a, a conversation about you know what this job is going to entail and you really you know again realize like wow this is this is the real deal and after you go through the group interviews, which, you know, again, mine was scheduled at 6.30 p.m., uh, nearly eight hours after we got done with our morning portion of the interviews, uh, you go in and, and you do a one-on-one -on -one interview with your future manager the next day if you were selected. And, you know, as you get to that point, you, you know, get instructed that you'll hear back from the team, you know, by a, a certain timeline if you've been, you know, selected for the position and, and that time expires and you get a message a couple hours later letting, you know, you know, hey, man, we're sorry for the delay. You know, we had a lot of people to get through and, and we want to bring you on board. And, um, you know, every every emotion, every feeling kind of runs through you at that point. The ambiguity of the process is really something unique, but it's well done, right? You're walking into this process that you don't quite know what you're in for. You kind of do, but you don't know the full scope of it. When you receive, hey, we want to interview for you for the project, for the Rams and Chargers project, but you don't really know which team it is. You don't really know what specifically you're interviewing for. You know, what are your thoughts when you walk in and you start this whole process as you start to put all the pieces together and figure out what this really is? Like, how confusing is that when you show up? Yeah, you know, I show up at the uh, at the Marriott and, and you walk in and you go to the group interviews. And to give you an idea of some of the questions they ask, it was, you know, hey, Brock, would you rather be a, a president or a king? The answer doesn't really matter, but it's could you come up with an answer and could you, you know, argue behind why you would choose to be one or the other and, and make that point be valid? You know, you get through that stage and, and then you get to the point where they give you a note card and ask you to write your name on it and either the Rams, the Chargers or both you know, depending on which organization you prefer to work for if hired. And, you know, that's when it really starts to sink in. Like, man, I have the choice here to put down both. I could put down chargers and work for my hometown team or, you know, listen to everybody in the room that I've met so far today who said, oh man, you'll never get hired working for your hometown team. It, it never happens. And I put down chargers and, and couldn't be happier to this day. Whoever said you can't work for your hometown team, like, come on, we're, we're two living examples of that. What, and what, Danny, you know, you're one of your previous guests and, and a couple of the others as well. You know, I, I don't think it's that far fetched for somebody who's a, a fan of the team to go on and, and work from. What tips do you have for standing out in a group interview for anybody and really in any industry? It doesn't have to be sports specific, but the Rams and Chargers interview is a little bit intense. Very infrequently do people of other industries have to go into this 500 person you know, baptism by fire. But if somebody out there is getting ready for a group interview or is about to do a group interview, what kind of tips do you have for standing out in large crowds? Absorb everything, um, you know, and, and listen. When we started our group interview, they went around and did an introduction. And it's very similar to when you have a business meeting in sports, take a one-on-one -on -one meeting with somebody and you show up at their office and all of a sudden they have their finance director, they have their operations manager, and you now have to remember all of those people 
and how you can connect back to each one of them. And I think that was the thing I took most from this group interview was the people that made it out were the people that were able to remember things about the other people's conversations and able to you know relate with them while also answering the question at the same time. And you know, I'd say absorb everything and, and just kind of think before you speak. To make it in sports, this crazy, wild, weird, unique industry, you need so many things, right? Like you need timing, you need to find a leader who believes in you, you need humility, you need to understand that like no one person is more important at the end for the job than any other person. You need mental toughness because there will be more difficult days than, than non-difficult days. You need respect and respect and teamwork because in this industry, you just never know what day you're gonna walk in and it's all over. So what do you think your best skill is that has kept you successful being a top contributor for the LA Chargers? Being a sponge, you know, I mentioned it before, like absorbing everything and, and you know, taking that, you know, step further out of the group interviews and into, you know, working on the job the first couple of months. It, it was just being a sponge and, and listening to everybody. I used to sit next to some of, you know, the greatest guys in sports that still work on this team. And, and these guys came from backgrounds working for other projects where they sold out stadiums, where they sold out arenas and listening to how they went about their day and how they went about their phone calls and, you know, just absorbing all the those little things, my phone calls now sound the same. My emails now sound the same. And, you know, just making sure that you can absorb everything from the people around you and not use the same language, but use your own. So it still sounds unique and original. But when I started off in sports, Brock, I didn't know what a piggyback seat was, you know, and I, I hear the guy next to me saying, oh, you should do four and four and piggyback them. And I asked him afterwards, like, hey, what does that mean? And he said, yeah, instead of putting eight in a row, you know, you grab the four behind it so they can get access to two aisles and the one and the eight people in the row can talk to each other because they're behind each other now. So just kind of learning and absorbing all those little tricks of the trade, it, it really has helped me get to where I am today. We ask everyone who comes on the show about one of our favorite sales trainers in the world. His name's Paul Epstein. He has this idea in general that everybody needs to find your why. You know, what is your absolute motivator? What is the reason you get up in the morning and tread on? So we ask everybody who comes on the show, but William, what is your why? Yeah, and, and you know, Paul's a, a great guy. We've had the privilege of, of having him come out and speak with us, you know, as, as his relationship with Legends, you know, continues to evolve with his new, uh, you know, mentorship company here. And, and one of the biggest things that I took from learning about the purpose and the why was just really that you have to have something greater than your just regular day to get you up and, and get you going. And for me, what it really came down to is looking back at Las Vegas and looking back at you know, growing up in San Diego, I was always very engaged in these unique experiences, but I always wanted to make sure other people were there with me. You know, if I was going out spearfishing in the water, I wanted somebody else to come with me. So I always had an extra sling. You know, it was always making sure that you had that extra guy to come along and have that experience with you. And working in sports, you get to see that full hand come to fruition when you see a, a customer's face when they're at that game and they score a touchdown and they're cheering and, you know, their kids right below them having their day at the park. So it, it's really kind of seeing other people enjoy an experience, you know, and, and again, looking at a nightclub, you know, when you get to you know, firsthand take part in somebody's bachelor party or a bachelorette party and, you know, show them that you really care and, and see their smile at the middle of the night when they're, you know, cheers in with their friends. That's what it comes down to for me. That's such a great answer. Do you think you got that from having a twin? Like, do you think that's the root of where this idea, this why originates? Because you've always got somebody with you when you're a twin. They're a part of your life forever. Yeah, I mean, growing up having having Jim, my brother around was awesome. You know, it was always like, hey, uh, what are you doing today? And it was like, I don't know, what are we doing? 
um, you know, and having that, you know, other person to go and experience things with you really was something that brought me up and, and brought me into where I am today, which is, you know, again, enjoying having experiences, but also enjoying watching other people have a similar, a better or a, a worser experience and seeing if, if they did have a worser, hey, can I kind of help you out and, and see if we can make it better? Perfect teammate, right? Go Jim. Yep. There you go. We've dropped a lot of uh, truth bombs on this. This has been incredibly powerful to hear your story and, and inside workings of Will Wall. We appreciate you sharing all your wealth of knowledge with us. What we want to do now is we want to ask you about some quick hitters. We're going to give you some personal questions just to really get to know William Wall a little bit better. Some of these are personal questions or sports opinions. Just give us your authentic, off-the-cuff answer. First thing that comes into your mind. Ready to roll. Quick hitters, William Wall. Here we go. Who is your favorite Chargers player of all time? Uh, it's definitely got to be Junior Seau. Uh, growing up, he actually used to live just right up the street from me. And, uh, you know, just, just seeing the guy when I was driving home from school sometimes, watering his front lawn was the most incredible thing growing up as a kid. And, and uh, I would say Junior Seau has to be it. What is the best restaurant in San Diego? Ooh, uh, putting some pressure on me there. You know, I'm actually going to probably go with Phil's Barbecue. Do you have any game day traditions or superstitions? Yeah, you know, I, I heard somebody else uh, say it, and, and I do wear the same socks uh, on game day. I have my football socks with a, a little football field on them, and, and so I'm always wearing those. Um, I always like to park in the same row when I get there. Uh, you know, we have our staff lot, and I like to kind of go for the same lot when I do park. Who is your craziest client that you ever serviced while working in Vegas or L.A. nightclubs? craziest client you know i mean I, in vegas i had everything from celebrities to you know wealthy individuals that were coming out and and i would say probably the the best one i ever had was a, a guy in los angeles he ended up buying a, a pretty big expensive bottle of champagne and still gone on to be friends since then and and you know the connection that we made through the experience that i created for him that evening is is something that will live uh, forever what is the biggest tab you've ever serviced while working in la or vegas nightclubs Biggest tab would probably be, well, that I experienced. I was at, you know, the Marquee Nightclub when they had somebody spend uh, over $250,000, and that was pretty incredible. It wasn't my client, unfortunately, uh, so I didn't see the commission check on that one. But the most uh, expensive night that I had with one of my clients probably topped out at about 120 grand. Even 120 grand is such a large number. Like, can you imagine how many charger seats you could get for 50 years with 120,000? They spent it on one night. That is F you money, dude. Not just one night, but a couple of hours. Um, you know, the guys, uh, they showed up at around 1130 and, and, you know, the nightclubs close out there at about four o'clock. So give or take four hours to blow through that kind of money is, is pretty incredible. All right. So when we're doing our William Wall research, well, a lot of the feedback we got is that you're, quote, a pretty creative seller and a world class pitch man. So here's what we're going to do for these next couple of questions. We're going to give you a scenario and we need you to come up with a creative solution for why this client in this situation should buy a charger seat license from you. You ready? Ready to go. All right. Scenario number one. I have one salesperson who manages three clients. Why do I need chargers tickets? Well, that one salesperson that manages three clients is going to want to grow to four or five clients and taking out some of your existing clients might be a great way to find out if there's new business to come from there. Um, and maybe those are clients that you can sell to as well. Scenario number two, my business currently spends 50K plus per year entertaining in nightclubs and Soho House memberships, and it's working. So why would I change that up and buy a charter's license? Well, I'm a great example. I used to uh, be in the nightclubs and was working, and, and now I've made the switch to sports. So if that isn't enough for you there, 
Um, you know, the idea of, of a nightclub is is great. It allows you to engage your customers and, and or clients, depending on how you're using it. But similarly, in sports, you can do that same thing. And at the end of the day, this venue really is a big, big nightclub. These off the cuff answers like this shows you, you know what you're talking about, man. You've got an answer ready to go like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like you said, it's it's being creative. And I think that's when you go back to the interview questions that they ask in those group settings, it's, you know, hey, how creative can you be in, in creating a, a reason for somebody to, A, at least side with you or at least say, hey, I can understand your opinion. All right, scenario number three. I'm a company based in San Diego, not Los Angeles. And we liked the old Galaxy Stadium because of the small, intimate stadium setting. You know what? Our stadium that we're building here in SoFi is actually, when you walk in on the 300 level, the majority of our fans, including you and your customers from San Diego, can walk down to their seats. And you can feel like you're in that same intimate lower bowl, uh, just like we had there in Carson. Scenario number four, I am John Mayer. I barely like football. I was born in Connecticut, but the girl I'm dating this week likes football. Why should I buy charger seats? The girl I'm dating this week likes football. So there's a chance that next week you might not have that same girl if you're John Mayer. Hey, I'm uh, John Mayer. I'm, I'm a rebel. I have no cause. You never know what's going to come out of this mouth. And you, you never know what I'm on to in the next week. Well, maybe you'll meet your next, uh, next fling here at the ballpark. And uh, if you do, you're probably going to find him in our VIP club seating. And I'd be happy to look over some of those options with you. Brilliant. And the last one we have for you, I'm a Rams fan. Why should I buy Chargers seat licenses? Pricing. Um, you know, I think for the uh, experience that you have with the Chargers versus the Rams, it's an NFL football game. And, and that's been one of the biggest separators that we have is pricing. The, the real reason, I think, is, is if you look at the Chargers, they're just a, a rejuvenated brand. They you know, have some of the most exciting jerseys out there, a brand new quarterback, uh, really exciting offensive and defensive sides of the ball. And you know, for a, a fan here in L.A. to be a part of a, an organization that's on the rise as opposed to one that's maybe already up there, that, that's something to speak for. Some brilliant answers, Will. I'm sold. Sign me up for, let's go with 69 seats. Uh, put it on my tab. There you go. I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and invoice you here shortly. Who is your favorite female athlete of all time? Favorite female athlete is going to have to be Serena Williams. I think just the sheer volume of, of her work says enough. Uh, I mean, I think she went out and played a couple of months after being pregnant. You know, I think that just in and of itself it says something. If you were on ABC Shark Tank, which shark would you take a deal with? Cubes. 100%. I'd want the cubes on my side. I think just his moxie, his attitude to business is, is incredible. And, you know, his creativity, I think, aligns right with mine. If we asked your twin, Jim, to describe you, what do you think he would say? Man, he would probably just say relentless. If there's a deal on the table, if there's something that I truly believe in, like I'm going to go for it. And, and I think he's always been there to support me, whether it was the right move or the wrong move. Uh, but I, I think he would, he would say just relentless. Like how much of having a twin is this almost identical lifestyle? Like how much are you guys in sync and the same person or are you guys completely different? Well, we are fraternal twins. So look wise, we're different. You know, growing up wise, we're pretty the same. We both, you know, grew up playing sports and, and you know, he did water polo. I did surfing and football. And, you know, growing up, we were very similar. And, and now as we've kind of gotten older and into our 30s, uh, we've kind of seen a realignment on that. I do sales uh, for a sports team and he actually does sales for a uh, pharmaceutical company. So although he got his PhD and is a pharmacist, he is, is doing sales now as well. So pretty cool to see the synergy there that you know kind of exists between twins is it better to feel pain or to feel nothing at all feel nothing at all feel numbness than than feel that actual pain do you have a celebrity doppelganger or what celebrity do people tell you that you look like 
I used to get Ryan Reynolds every once in a while, but you know, haven't had that in a couple of years. Um, but don't really have any any celebrity doppelganger that I uh, I kind of fit in with. That's such a great answer because if you don't have one, just name a beautiful human being. You know, just go with that, and then you dare somebody to say, uh, "No, you don't look like Ryan Reynolds." Will, you don't look like Ryan Gosling. You don't look like Ryan Reynolds. Like, give give me one of the good guys up there, and and uh, you have to argue against it. Exactly. 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 If you don't really have one, put your money where your mouth is and just go all out and just and, pick a big guy. And you'll find out who your real friends are. Because man, if you talk me out of it, then I'm gonna really have to sit back and think. Like, man, does does Brock really think I don't look like him? Maybe I'm just a Type A New Yorker. Maybe I'm just gonna tell you how it is instead of what what you think you want to hear. Blunt and truthful, bro, right? bro. You don't you don't look nothing like Ryan Reynolds. Okay, you look nothing. You look more like Paul Giamatti, bro. Come on. Oh, don't do me like that. G- keep me with Ryan. <laughs> keep me with Ryan Reynolds or Gosling, please. The last one we have for you. Where will we see William Wall in two to three years? Man, in two to three years, you know, it's a great question. I, you know, I think for me, it's about the next challenge, finding, you know, something that's challenging to do. And, and you know, that's something that I've always seeked out is, is uh, working on this project. It's been a lot of successes. So I wouldn't mind, um, you know, taking a stab at a failure just to, to kind of take that, that level of growth, you know, whether that's in sports or, or outside of sports, you know, yet to be seen. But also on the, the same side, it'd be incredible to say in, in two or three years, I'm still working for the LA Chargers and, you know, working for my hometown team. So a couple of things there on, on both sides. William, it's really cool that you would join us and tell us your story. It's, it's really refreshing to see your success among, you just continue to stand out in a group, whether it's a 500 person interview or then the, the mass couple hundred employees that they hire, the way that you continue to find a way to stand out is just insanely impressive. And thank you so much for coming on and telling our listeners about ways that they can kind of do the same. Really appreciate you coming on the show and and sharing a beer with us. Hey, Brock, it's it's been a pleasure coming on and and speaking with you here. Uh, Unfortunately, I've had two beers. Uh, It's been a pleasure talking with you and and look forward to staying connected as both of our sports journeys here in LA continue to evolve. That bolt up beer goes down smoothly, huh? It's a smooth, nice lager. Can't complain. Today's episode of Hot Coffee Cold Beer is independently produced by Brock L. Hendricks. The content you heard today does not reflect the opinion or views of AEG, Staples Center, the Los Angeles Lakers, Clippers, Kings, or Sparks, or any of its affiliates, subsidiaries, and partners. 